welcome. We are happy to have you join us for, on, for another episode of Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramil Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and co-hosting with me today is our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher. Maria, welcome to the show as always. Thank you so much, Ramil. It's great to be with you today. Oh, did you have a good 4th of July? I had an excellent 4th of July. It was wonderful. Yeah, I think we that was quite a celebration. And this is just my second year um, for joining the festivities. And this year, I really enjoyed it. We did the whole thing with barbecue and fireworks and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, healing after, I mean, we talk about abortion stories a lot. And healing after an abortion can be quite a challenging and trying journey, one filled with darkness, grief, and a necessity to face the daunting truth. For many who are post-abortive, one of the hardest things to deal with is the isolation that comes after. But for anyone seeking or willing to enter the post-abortive healing and restorative process, know that there is hope and that there are always those who have walked a similar journey before and are willing to accompany you through the hardest times. Support After Abortion is one such organization that works with over 800 agencies to individualize the care that a person impacted by abortion receives to find the hope and healing they deserve. Our interview today is with Greg Mayo, who is part of their men's task force. And in a little while, we will be talking about what the process of healing looks like, especially for a man. But first, Maria Gallagher is ready with our legislative update for this week, and it is encouraging news. It is indeed. The following is from a LifeNews.com story by Stephen Ertelt. A new poll shows a majority of Americans support the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision that overturned the infamous Roe versus Wade. Although Democrats and the media claim that Americans are solidly pro-abortion, and oppose the Dobbs decision. The numerous Mewson poll shows that's a misleading claim. And combined with a new Gallup poll showing more Americans want all or most abortions made illegal, it confirms that the temporary bounce the Dobbs decision gave abortion support has already begun to wane. One year after the Supreme Court overturned the 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling, so that each state can now determine its own laws regarding abortion. A majority of voters approve the decision, Rasmussen said about its new poll. The survey found 52% of Americans support Dobbs, including 37% who strongly approve. On the other hand, just 44% disapprove, including 36% who strongly disapprove of the decision. That's a slight increase from the 50% of Americans who supported the Dobbs ruling in the Rasmussen poll this time last year, following the June 24th Supreme Court ruling. Rasmussen's question was pretty straightforward, too, as it asked Americans, last year, the Supreme Court overturned the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision so that each state can now determine its own laws regarding abortion. Do you approve or disapprove of the court overturning Roe versus Wade? 
Just days ago, a new Gallup poll showed a plurality of Americans oppose all or most abortions. And this is good news indeed. Remmel? Oh, wow, that is quite um, encouraging to hear. And uh, uh, for inspiration, I just wanted to share uh, this little story that I read on social media yesterday. But before that, I just also wanted to talk about, you know, I talked about how my husband and I went to watch the fireworks and a lot of people had come out to watch and there were cars parked on, on either side of almost every road in that area just to watch that. And uh, it was spectacular. And after the display, there was this collective excitement and wonder and applause, you know, and I just felt so good to be part of that. And on my way back, I was reading this one little post uh, from a woman named Lynette Scribner. And I just found this on Facebook, but it's a great story that I thought I should share. And, and you're probably wondering why, how this is connected. I will get to that, but here's the story. Um, she begins by saying, I saw this gentleman, Tim, in Boston's Logan Airport with his sister he'd been visiting. It appeared he was both deaf and blind as I observed her signing into his hand for him to feel her words. When he came aboard the plane, he had been assigned the middle seat of my row, but the kind gentleman who had the aisle seat graciously gave it, to him, gave it up for him. At this point, Tim was traveling alone. The flight attendant sincerely wanted to assist him, but had no way to communicate. I watched as they didn't flinch when he reached out to touch their faces and arms. They took his hand and tried so hard to communicate with him to no avail. He had some verbal ability, but clearly could not understand them. The man who had given up his seat did his best to assist him with things like opening coffee creamer and putting it in his coffee. When Tim made the attempt to stand up and feel his way to the restroom, his seatmate immediately was up to help him. The flight attendants were talking among themselves and someone suggested paging to see if anyone on board knew sign language. That's when this lovely young woman came into the picture. So I'm gonna interrupt this post to say that there was a, there is a picture posted of this young girl with Tim uh, in, in, in this post. And uh, she continues to say 15 years old, I mean, this, this young woman, 15 years old, she learned ASL because she had dyslexia and it was the easiest foreign language for her to learn. For the rest of the flight, she attended to Tim and made sure his needs were met. It was fascinating to watch as she signed one letter at a time into his hand and he was able to read her signing and they carried on an animated conversation. When he asked her if she was pretty, she blushed and laughed as the seatmate who had learned a few signs communicated an enthusiastic yes to Tim. I don't know when I've ever seen so many people rally to take care of another human being. All of us in the immediate rows were laughing and smiling and enjoying his obvious delight in having someone to talk to. Huge kudos to the flight attendants of Alaska Airlines who went above and beyond to meet Tim's needs. And I can't say enough about this young, beautiful young woman named Clara, who didn't think twice about helping her fellow passenger. It was a beautiful reminder in this time of too much awfulness that there are still good, good people who are willing to look, look out for each other. Now, like I shared, I was reading this post, uh, the same, like right after 
this collective experience of, of jubilation and celebration um, after the fireworks. And, and it got me thinking that, that there is something in the human spirit that individually and collectively recognizes what is good and beautiful. And it is also that same part of us that rallies around the weak, you know, to protect and care for the most vulnerable among us. And uh, it's just a beautiful reminder that this is why we do what we do because of this collective spirit uh, that we have to do what is good and this drive to heroic virtue, heroic virtue that is in all of us. And just wanted to share that story with you all. So when we celebrate together, it's, it's, I think it's our greatest strength to celebrate together. And what better way to, what better thing to celebrate than another human person, especially those that are the weakest among us. And uh, I wanted to share that. And uh, if that story inspired you, what are you going to do to protect the weakest in your community? So I'm gonna leave you all with that question. Um, just something to think about as we move on to our interview with Craig Mayo. Greg Mayo is a member of the Support After Abortion Men's Task Force and serving as a healing strategist. He's an award-winning writer, speaker, podcast host, and he's also the author of Almost Daddy, a novel written to start conversations about men healing from lost fatherhood to abortion, along with its accompanying 12-step recovery guide for healing after abortion. His work focuses on helping people find forgiveness, healing, and grace. Over the years, Greg has written hundreds of articles and columns for publications and spoken to dozens of groups about topics he is not only passionate about, but battles he has fought himself, ranging from men's issues, family dysfunction, abortion healing, reconciliation with God, and authentic masculinity. Greg, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, so as you can, you might be, you might know this, but I pulled that intro out of your website. And I think just reading that, we can tell that this is quite personal to you. So can we, um, so to start off this interview, could you share a little bit about your story and uh, how you even came to do what you do? Yeah, so the short version is, um, I experienced a loss to abortion at 18 years old. And again at 22. And, you know, back then there was not a lot of conversation around abortion healing. Um, I, I remember, you know, a couple of years later, I was 24 maybe, and I was seeing a therapist and I mentioned the abortions and his comment to me was, yeah, I don't think that's really a thing. Tell me more about your dad. And so that was kind of the level of understanding. Well, through I'm going to call it the Holy Spirit. When I was 39, I got in touch with the abortion wound and I immediately started looking for healing. Again, couldn't really find it. Um, I found some books and, and, and some of them were good and some of them were just okay. And a lot of them were written by women and that's okay. But well, I tell people all the time after 25 years with my wife, I've learned one thing. I don't know how women think. And so, because men communicate differently, right? Um, and so some of them were good and some of them were not. I, I worked through them with my pastor, with uh, a therapist that was, I was 39. So that was 14 years ago. So there was quite a gap between the abortion events and, and when I actually found healing. 
Now, tell us about your role at Support After Abortion. What is it that you do? Well, the title we settled on was Men's Healing Strategist. Um, vague, kind of, right? I mean, I get it. But so what I do, what Support After Abortion brought me in to do was to not only vet healing materials for men, but also create materials. Also go speak to groups. Um, I train men to facilitate abortion healing for men. I work with men one-on-one -on -one that have experienced loss and are looking for healing. Um, I do facilitate some healing groups myself. And a big chunk of what I do, especially in the last year, is I go speak. Um, and I challenge the team in the fall, you know, speaking at pro-life events is great. But find me other men's conferences to speak at. And the, re the response has been amazing. Every single place I speak, and, and this goes back for 14 years now, but certainly in the last year or so in these, these men's conferences, everywhere I go to speak, men come up to me and they'll tell me, look, I've never told anybody this before, but 10 years ago, 30 years ago, the longest one was 52 years ago, my girlfriend had an abortion and this is how it impacted me. Um, and so that's a lot of it too, the speaking, right. To, to help open up that awareness, because what we know about men is that if they hear another man share about some problem, some struggle, whatever, openly, authentically, vulnerably, it draws them out. They're like, Hey, there's another guy that's feeling this. I can go talk to him. So what I do with there, I guess, Maria, to put a bow tie on that is a lot of different stuff. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of good stuff. Um, can you just tell us what are, um, because you've had so many interactions with other men who are post-abortive, what are some of the biggest regrets of post-abortive men? And also, how have they seen the abortion decision affect their lives? So some of the biggest regrets I hear are for men is I didn't do enough. I didn't say enough to stop her. Um, what do we know about a stressful moment? It, it often causes anxiety. Anxiety causes us to not make the best decisions, right? I I say often to guys that are abortion-minded or in a position where they're, an abortion may be on their near horizon, let's put it that way, that abortion is a permanent solution to a temporary situation. The anxiety at the moment, that that's the temporary thing. And, and so a lot of guys, they talk about that regret about, Man, I, if, if I would have just said more, but I was so scared and I didn't know what to do. And everybody said, you know, I'm supposed to just support whatever she wants. And and what we find, too, anecdotally from women is that a lot of women say, well, if he would have said more, I, I, I would have reconsidered. I was waiting for him to say something. I was waiting for him to tell me it was going to be OK. Right. Um, and that's why I created a three minute video that a lot of pregnancy centers use. And it's just if you don't have a male volunteer that can come in and talk to a guy, you know, that, that comes in with his girl, friend, uh, wife, fiance, whatever. It's a video he can watch. And, it, and it's a real simple video, y'all. It, it's me saying, hey, look, my name's Greg. I was where you were at. And let me encourage you. You're already a dad. You can do this right there. There are people that can help you. You had a bad father. I get that. We, there are people that can help you become a good father. You know, it, it's just a three minutes of encouragement to get the guy to kind of calm down for a minute, take a breath and go, oh, well, maybe I can do this. Maybe I should really talk to her. You know what I mean? But that's the biggest thing, that that regret of I didn't do enough or didn't say enough. That's the biggest thing. 
So do you see men who run the gamut from men who were really involved in the decision for abortion versus men who weren't involved at all? Yes. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing. So we did a a white paper um, research study paper that was released back in April that was based on a study we commissioned anyway of men and abortion. What we found statistically is that 57% of the men polled said they did they didn't have a voice in the decision. And almost 50% said they had no choice at all. So we know that that's the thing. And that kind of flies in, face, in the face of the narrative we get from the pro-choice world, which is, will men recklessly get women pregnant and then they force them to have an abortion? Now, there are men that I've talked to and worked with one-on-one that that was them. They manipulated, talked whomever into having an abortion. One of the biggest things that they experienced sometimes decades later is that shame of, I pushed her into this. Um, and then I've talked to a few guys who didn't know till after the fact. And, and so there's a different level of pain with that, right? I had no idea. Um, and a lot of the guys I talked to, I say the majority regret being involved in relationships that, how do I say this, that could produce an unplanned pregnancy situation and with a woman they weren't married to. And there's that regret when, when men come to faith, they look back and they go, man, I was living wrong. And it wasn't, I was living wrong. And for three years of my twenties, I drank too much. No, I was in a relationship. I had no business being in. She got pregnant. We had an abortion. Um, but one thing that goes across whatever your situation was when the abortion happened is men have this sense of this sense of loss. And I hear it over and over and over. Um, Father's Day is a big day, right? You think about what could have been and and what my child would look like now. And and was it a boy or a girl? You know, would he be an athlete or an engineer? You know, it, those things are some of the hardest to get over. I think I really appreciate you bringing that word loss because it's it's not only the loss of a child that I think the the grieving process um, brings up. It's it's also a loss of of a, a different life that they could have lived and. And, I, and I've never heard, like, I've, I've heard, I guess, some women talk about it, but not as many men talk about that, I think. Uh, and then the regret about not doing enough. Um, that is, that's a big one, too. So uh, really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, what kind of help is available for um, post-abortive men right now? So that's a cool thing. And, and th- this gets me excited because we have done, Support After Abortion as an organization, and and um, me working alongside them, we have really done our level best to put together a collection on our website of different resources for men. Um, what we've learned and from our study, especially, is that men want different options. And, and women do too. But I, I, I let me just say this to you both and your audience. I don't speak for women. As I mentioned, I've been married 25 years. I know better. Um, so when I say men, I'm not leaving women out. I'm just staying in my lane. But men want different options. And what we found is that only 40% of men in our study wanted a religious approach to healing, for example. So we talk about options-based curriculum. Um, Men, one of the biggest things men want is anonymity. So imagine this, they don't want religious by and large, and, and they want anonymity. So what a lot of places do is they put a sign over the door at a church five blocks from a guy's house that says abortion healing, come on in. 
that guy five blocks away that needs healing, he ain't going, right? Uh, we have created Keys to Hope and Healing. There is a religious version, but there's also a secular version. Um, and I work with a lot of the secular guys. Uh, I'm a Christian, but I honestly believe that we have to clear off some of that muck and some of those issues before we get back to talking about God. And so um, we have those, we have virtual groups, we have groups that we can connect people to that are in person, weekend retreats, one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I do a thing every Tuesday at 7 p.m. called Base Camp. It's, it's an open forum conversation. I have one guy that shows up every week who told me the first week he changed his name and he never turns his camera on. Totally fine, dude. Just show up and talk, you know, just hear what some other guys are saying. So we we are constantly working on more and more opportunities to reach men, to provide healing for men. Um, we have facilitator trainings on our website. We have individual video trainings, like a guy can just watch the videos and walk through. So I, the, the options compared to what they were 15 years ago are just amazing and growing every day. Well, that's very encouraging. I've often heard it said about grief that there is no timetable for grief. So I'm wondering if you find that there isn't a specific timetable for healing from abortion for men. Um, no, there's not. Because here's the thing. That wound, whether it was last year or 40 years ago, when it's unhealed, it still impacts every part of you. And so I worked with a guy last fall um, through Keys to Hope and Healing and then through my book. And his abortion story was 43 years prior. Um, and as we worked through, we so we spent 26 weeks together every week. And as we worked through stuff, he got in touch with how it impacted his first marriage, his second marriage, and, and you know, just going down the line. But this guy received healing, and now he's out facilitating groups. And, and that's one of our biggest things. It, it doesn't matter... I talked to a guy who literally, literally his abortion story was the day before, young man. Um, and we're working together and and it's a different dynamic, Maria, because the nerve's still raw, right? When, when you get older and you have that perspective of sort of the wake left behind you, that's a different level of trying to deal with that. And uh, but there is a process to it and and it may be different for some people. What I tell guys when I work with them is this is the journey I took. This is what worked for me. Let me help you on your path, whatever that may look like. So here's the important question. Can there be total healing from the damage that abortion has caused them? And what does okay. that really look like? So there's a couple layers to that question. Um, again, I'm speaking from the perspective of a Christian because that's what I am. So we talk about spiritual healing. Uh, yes, total and complete. From everything I understand about Christ, his work on the cross, what he did for me, his sacrifice, grace, all that. Yes, total. Psychological healing. Yes, kind of. And, and, and what I mean by that is um, on Father's Day, I, I have three sons that I raised that are the youngest is 21. Um, and I enjoy I've enjoyed being their father and raising them and doing all those things. Okay. But on father's day, I still find some time and either go out to the woods or, or just spend a little bit of time by myself and reflect on the two children I lost. Now I am healed from that uh, experience and the pain. And I forgive myself for my role in it and all those kind of things. But 
it, that I, I won't ever forget. You know what I mean? It, when I was 13, I get hit by a motorcycle and the doctor did a great job stitching up my leg. Um, and, and my leg works perfectly now, but 40 years later, I still have a scar. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does very much. And I'm wondering, uh, of all the things that you could say to men who are listening to this podcast, what would you like to tell them? What's your message for them? Well, if you're a man listening to this and you've been impacted by abortion, number one, I don't care what your role was. I don't care whether you pushed for it, argued against it, didn't know about it, whatever. Whatever it was, there is healing available for you. And, and a big thing, too, that I want to share is I don't care when it was. I don't care if it was 40 years ago. I don't care if you think like one guy I talked to, 72 years old, well, I'm close to the end of my life. It really doesn't matter now. No, of course it matters. Of course it matters. By the way, now he's 78 and doing volunteer work out, out West. Um, so that would be my big thing. Healing is possible. Forgiveness is possible. Forgiving yourself is possible. You can get to a place where you feel okay, where you feel at peace. And, and, and the other thing would be, the the thing in your mind right now, which a lot of guys have, which is I'm going to be judged if I come forward about this. I can tell you the truth. You will find more acceptance in sharing your story than you will condemnation. You just will. Because people respond to, to people that, that are open and honest about their own journeys. Yeah, that's a very, very important thing for, uh, for us to uh to even come forward, to know that there's going to be acceptance and not judgment or condemnation. And uh, just want, real quick, uh, can you share where we can come to, where can we find this information? So go to supportafterabortion.com. Um, you'll find all kinds of information there. If you go to almostdaddy.com, you can find copies of Almost Daddy, The Forgotten Story and my 12-step guide. But Support After Abortion has a robust website. And if you're listening right now and you just want to talk to somebody, you're abortion minded, you've experienced abortion, go to 844-289-HOPE. That's our hope line, 844-289-HOPE. Somebody will talk to you and help you get whatever help it is you need, wherever you're at in the journey, somebody will be there to help you. Greg Mayo of Support After Abortion and the Men's Task Force, thank you so much for being on Positively Pro-Life today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State with more than 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. Thank you for joining us for the program today. It wouldn't be the same without you. We are grateful for your continuing support and encouragement. And remember, above all, there is always a reason to choose life. See you next time.